BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Happy Friday, America. It's the Bauer and Rose podcast. This edition, it's pretty clear, Republican election deniers Threaten our democracy, so say our betters. We're also going to talk about the Israeli election and why are we now supporting Iran that's killing Ukrainians at the same time we're supposed to be supporting Ukrainians. All that and more on this edition of the Bauer and Rose podcast. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Well, happy Friday, Gary. Um... I'm re- I'm reluctant to ask whether or not you watched uh, our our corpse in chief, President Biden, on Wednesday at Union Station. It was a good thing on television you can't transmit urine smells. But have you been to Union Station recently? I have, and it's a hellhole. It's a slippery place to walk uh, oh, because God. there's things on the floor that should not be there, uh, and there was more of that. After the president spoke. So, by the way, I've got to interject. I've got to interject as as Gary Bowers talking about the slippery slope. Um, Gary is anything but a slippery slope. Former deputy education secretary, senior domestic policy advisor to President Reagan, ran the Family Research Council, uh, now runs the uh, Campaign for Working Families and American Values, and most importantly, most profoundly, most proudly on his resume, was a nine year stint. As the host of the Bauer and Rose Show on Sirius XM. Which uh, lessened my lifespan by 20 years. <laughs> oh, was, you ran uh, for president. A... I forgot about that. But what else did I forget? Yeah, well, I've, I've been trying to forget about that. I'm still paying off campaign debt, Tom. I mean, uh, no, I, I – uh, well, we don't want to go off on that tangent. But I have to say, and I, I think I've said this to you before, that the, uh, the months that I was in the – 2000 uh, presidential Republican presidential primaries, uh, spending a lot of time in Iowa and New Hampshire. I felt better about America at the end of that experience than I did in the beginning of it because I was out of Washington and I was seeing the good, decent people of the heartland and places like New Hampshire. Uh, you know, there were problems. There were there were warning signs of where we might be headed and where I think we have headed. Uh, but this is still a great nation with good people that understand, I think, uh, the basics about American liberty and where that liberty comes from. So that should give us all heart. 
But in addition to that, Tom, on the Friday before the election, I kind of think of this period that we're in right now as one big election day. It extends from now until Tuesday because everything is focused on the election. Who knows what last minute gambits Biden and company are going to pull a uh, pool in these last four days with they've already shown they'll do virtually anything in order to hold on to power, including demonizing half of America and censoring America, as we have found out over and over again. So this is um, it's a remark. And I, I have to say this time, I'd much rather be sitting here with you in the position that this movement is in right now than to be sitting here. Uh, sitting a couple miles from here at the White House, they must be looking at their own polls thinking, my goodness, we're getting ready to be clobbered with a tsunami of conservative votes. You know, we've talked about this in the last couple of podcasts, the very uncomfortable feeling I have, and I think you have, about our own side cheerleading. And this is as good a time as any, I think, to jump in and talk about the Israeli election, which occurred on Tuesday. A lot of folks might not have followed the campaign. I did follow it. Um, And what was unique about it from Benjamin Netanyahu's perspective, he was pretty much silent, Gary, until three weeks ago he started doing media. And all the polls indicated they were going to win. His side was going to win. The religious right had uh, greatly buttressed its efforts without getting into all the nuance of crazy Israeli politics. A bunch of political parties merged, enhancing their chances of making it into the Knesset Israel's parliament. In uh, Bibi's very first appearance in this campaign three weeks ago on television, uh, it was a friendly interview on Channel 14, which is kind of the Fox News of Israel. He's asked by a very friendly moderator uh, Mr. Prime Minister, former Prime Minister, you've got to be feeling great. I mean, all the polls say uh, you're way ahead. Uh, you must be very confident you're going to win. And Bibi's answer was, no, I'm not confident. Because if you don't vote, I'm not going to win. And that was the tenor throughout the entire campaign. He downplayed every poll. He downplayed and actually tried to silence anyone who would get off by saying, oh, we're going to win a huge victory. He was a negativist the entire campaign, and he did better than anybody, any of the polls expected, because he, I wouldn't go so far as to say he terrified his own voters, but he made it very clear that polls are utterly meaningless, that nothing before Election Day, and Israel actually just has an election day, not an election month like here. Oh, that's outrageous, Tom. (laughs) I've never heard of such a thing. (laughs) And anyway, it was uh, people couldn't understand it. He's run now for prime minister literally nine times. But that's another uh, discussion about Israel's, I would say, dysfunctional parliamentary system. But it seems to do pretty well. Uh, he, he was kind of the anti-Fox News in this whole thing. He kept saying, no, I don't believe we're going to win because if you don't vote, I'm not going to win. Well, you know, Tom, in the sports world, uh, if a team or its coach uh, in the week leading up to a big ball game says, we're going to clobber those guys. There's no way they can stand up to us. We've got all the talent. We've got the right players. They're not going to know what hit them. The, the coach and team that they're talking about, that coach will put up in the locker room the statement by the bragging team in order to motivate his team, right? And it often works. You get the opponent mad as you know what. 
and uh, it ends up blowing up in your face. So we could take a, a lesson from uh, American sports. Tom, some of our listeners may wonder, you know, why you know, we're talking about American politics. Why are you bringing up Israeli politics? And of course, the reason you brought it up was this point about don't get too big for your britches, you know, that no votes are count except the votes that are cast, et cetera, et cetera. But there's another link, Tom, that you're well aware of. Um, Israel and the United States are the two pillars of Western civilization and the modern world of what I still refer to quaintly as Judeo-Christian civilization. And both of uh, our countries are hated by the same globalists who see Israel and the United States standing in the way of this globalist vision where the nation, the nation state is erased and we're governed by a bunch of unelected, powerful world bureaucrats, et cetera, uh, the, the ultimate deep state. Uh, and uh, it, so it, it's a big deal what happens in the two, in the two countries. Tom, when the election results became obvious in Israel, the Washington Post and the Biden administration almost immediately began trying to demonize BB's government that hadn't even taken power yet. In fact, unnamed people in the Biden administration told the Washington Post that if BB puts in his government representatives of a couple of the uh, religious parties that helped him get a working majority, the United States would refuse to work with those individuals in BB's government. Here in the United States, Tom, the, the media is calling Christians that vote and take their faith seriously Christian nationalists, which just means people that love Jesus and love America. The, in Israel, they're already calling the, these religious parties, these are Jewish nationalists that, you know, are discriminatory and don't believe in gay rights marches and, you know, God knows what else. So, it, look, it, it, it's a very telling thing to see who the establishment in America sees as the bad guys. It's not only conservatives here, it's conservatives in Israel, and it's conservatives anywhere else, whether they're in Hungary or Brazil or you name it. I, I was saying to a, a friend uh, a little earlier this week, Tom, that if if Christian nationalism is so bad, what's the alternative? Well, I guess that would be atheist globalism. That's what we've got. Uh, which I don't want anything to do with. Too bad it's a little late for that because that's that's exactly what we've got. This nonsense, democracy on the ballot, democracy on the ballot. I voted. I'm a Florida resident, the free state of Florida. I voted um, early, uh, late last week. I didn't see democracy on the ballot. I saw names of candidates on the ballot. Uh, democracy isn't determined by who wins an election. In other words, if my opponent wins, that doesn't mean democracy has failed. It means that democracy has worked. Democracy, it, democracy is just the process by which we choose who's going to lead us based on the kind of government that we want. It's our choice. It's not Joe Biden's choice, but that doesn't prevent them. In fact, it actually encourages them to tell you the opposite. All the Democrats are telling you right now is that unless you arrive at a very specific predetermined outcome, 
determined by them, the system itself is illegitimate. They're undermining their own argument by constantly invoking this nonsensical lie that that, uh, we're a threat to democracy, democracy is on the ballot. They're able, if they win, to control the system. Their argument is, unless you give us a one-party state, the system isn't a democracy. Uh, it's, it's the most preposterous. You and I have said this numerous times. And I'm surprised it hasn't been picked up as a soundbite. We're not a threat to democracy. What's happening in America is not a threat to democracy. It's a threat to Democrats. What they're afraid of is not a loss of democracy. They're afraid of, terrified of a loss of democratic power. Yeah, well, you're, obviously you're right, Tom, and and I would hope it would be obvious to the to the American people the analysis that you just said. But you know, if you if you just look at the two movements in America, the right and the left, who actually attempts to limit the rights of people that are guaranteed in the Constitution? It, it's the the left in America that's at war with the freedom of speech. They've been, we found out, they've been uh, censoring us by working with their leftist friends in uh, Silicon Valley. The, the the left's at war with religious liberty. They they tried to force nuns to be complicit in in the providing of abortions. They're trying now to force uh, Catholic hospitals to do mutilating surgeries on little boys and little girls in the name of gender fluidity. So, I mean, you just go down the list, the freedom of assembly. You know, they tried to block Donald Trump from even having rallies by saying that after he had a rally, hate crime would go up in that area over the next week, which was a complete, you know, BS lie or whatever. So on issue after issue after issue, it's the left that's threatening democracy, censoring free speech, limiting debate, putting people on list, calling parents to go to school board meetings. The most the most grassroots display of democracy we have, the average guy going into a school board to talk to a school board member, he probably knows may even be living down the street from him about something so profoundly important as how are you educating my child? They tried to put those parents doing the ultimate Democrat thing, Democratic thing on a list of terrorists. So it is that can can anybody give me an example where there's a state where Republicans are in charge at all level of government? And what we try to do is shut down free debate, censor our opposition uh, and then one final thing, Tom, if one is worried about a, 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 people challenging the legitimacy of an election, it's a very simple solution. You just go all out to make sure that all the reasonable things that should be done to avoid charges of cheating happen. The most reasonable one of all is you have to show an ID. Why do the Democrats fight so hard against showing an ID. That would be the one way of saying everybody that came in here to vote had a card issued by some level of government that proved his identity. So it couldn't possibly be a question of cheating. Why do they keep insisting on machine votes when we all know machines and computers can be manipulated? Why do they go literally go into court and try to stop getting dead people off the rolls. What possible 
public policy goal, legitimate policy, public policy goal could be served by saying, nope, we're going to keep the, the debt on the vote because they are a, you know, and these polls always show Republicans think this, Democrats think this, and uh, independents think that, and the dead believe such and such. Be- the reason I think they're kept on the poll is that it's easy to vote the dead, <laughs> you know, unless unless somebody is looking over their shoulders. The old joke is, you know, uh, it, it, when I die, I, I want to be buried in Chicago so I can remain active in politics. <laughs> You're listening to the Bauer and Rose podcast. Brought to you by JustTheNews.com. Check us out, Apple, iTunes. Make sure and give us a five-star rating and share with your friends. We'll be back right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Tom Rose. With me, uh, Gary Bauer, the one and only. It's pretty clear, Gary, if Republicans win on Tuesday, results that the media tell us uh, we're not going to get to know about until three weeks from next fun day. Um, we're going to burn down your houses. We're going to steal your kids. We're going to take away your money. But it's not going to matter because you're all going to die anyway. Um, our commander-in-chief, Corpse in chief warned us Wednesday that if we don't vote, uh, his way, it'll be the end of all our freedoms, and the only way our democracy can survive is if we submit to one-party rule. How do we know about voter suppression? Uh, well, we know that voter suppression is active because there's record turnout among blacks and Hispanics. How do we know this election is going to be stolen? Because it already is proving to be one of the most transparent we've had. How are Democrats so able to identify Republican election deniers? Well, Gary, because they're the biggest election deniers out there. How do we know how dangerous these Republican threats to our democracy are? Well, that's obviously clear because of all the blatantly illegal acts that our federal government has taken to silence you, to surveil you, or to even imprison anyone who dissents. It's all about protecting our democracy, Gary. Well, that's that's a good analysis, Tom. Uh, you, you know, there's another irony here, uh, w- which is that the people that Biden called election deniers are people that were nominated in Republican primaries. And in many cases, they could credit part of their being nominated by the fact that the Democrats spent $40 million trying to help these candidates win their primaries because Biden and company thought they would be easier to defeat in November, right? So when he goes on the air on nationwide TV and calls them election deniers, he's just squaring the circle of what was a Democrat plan, a Democrat strategy. Let's get what they call election deniers nominated. And then as we get close to the election, we'll identify them as election deniers and we'll defeat all of them at the polls. It's not going to work. And man, I'm telling you, Biden would have been in trouble with the outcome of this election anyway. But there's going to be a, in my view, a huge blow up in the Democrat Party that some of the people they thought were unelectable actually, Tom, I think ended up being the most electable candidates 
<laughs> well, irony of ironies, right? Exactly. Of course, none of that will come to pass if you don't vote. If you haven't voted, vote. If you can vote early, vote early. If you have to vote on Tuesday, vote on Tuesday. But if you don't vote, uh, none of this is going to matter. In the past 24, 48 hours, some of the media hyperbole now, Gary, is so off the charts as to as to beggar belief. We were talking off the air about this this so-called historian, Michael Beschloss, who has written some good books in the past, literally saying that we're on the verge of almost, I think the word was authoritarian, but the implication was Hitlerian era. If Democrats don't win the election, our good friend Bill Kristol is now cutting ads for Act Blue, um, formally announcing he's no longer a Republican. And I thought, I, I mean, I boy, there's breaking news. No, I'm, Bill, <laughs> Bill is a Republican. No, Bill is a it, an old, old, dear friend of yours, and he's a friend of mine. I, I was willing to almost give him a pass on the Trump business because I get it. Trump, you know, rubs a lot of people the wrong way. But Trump's not on the ballot now. What's the problem? Well, see, I, I'm the, I wasn't willing to give him a pass on uh, the, the, his opposition to Trump because everybody knows that it, no matter what personality you do or don't like, none of these other issues, the thing that everybody was looking at was the Supreme Court of the United States and whether the vacancies on that court would be filled by Donald Trump and the conservative legal complex that would be advising him or whether it would be those vacancies would be filled by Hillary Clinton and the left wing, I would say, neo Marxists that are increasingly in power in the Democrat Party that want to transform America and want to cut the Constitution into pieces to make it a document that the founding fathers would be ashamed of. And anybody as bright as Bill and others are that didn't understand that's what it was all about, I, I, that's it. I mean, I, I don't know how in the world. So the, it is a phenomenon, though, Tom, that the never-Trumpers – have become never conservative. That's exactly right. And it's very telling, right? By, by the way, did you notice this? So you've got Barack Obama out there campaigning. And uh, by the way, in his off-year election, he lost 63 House seats. I'm not sure that's the greatest uh, idea for the left. You, you've got Hillary Clinton, who was never elected president, but she did write her acceptance speech. So she was, you know, a president in her own mind. And uh, let's see, who, who else? Uh, oh, Bill, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was out there campaigning, right? Who is the president that's missing, the ex-president that's missing from the campaign? Well, that would be not Waldo, but another W, George W. Bush. And I want to know, why isn't he on the campaign trail? Is it because nobody asked him to be on the campaign trail? That would be a possibility, I guess. But... Uh, I think it may be that he really doesn't feel all that good about some of the candidates that we're the most excited about. Well, he's very dear friends and his wife, Laura, very dear friends with the Obamas. We never heard a peep from him or his younger brother, Jeb, during eight Obama years. Never a peep, never a, a hint of criticism. The only time we heard from George W. Bush was during the campaign season of 2016, when he let us know how uncomfortable he was with the candidacy of Donald Trump and with the prospect that someone like Donald Trump might become president. So he, in effect, you're absolutely right, it's the, it's the uh, mouse that didn't roar. The only time we hear from Republicans like that 
is when conservatives are in the ascendancy. That, that's exactly right. Yeah, Tom, the, I think it was uh, last night or sometime this week, both Kerry Lake and um, Blake Masters was, uh, were they on together. They are the Republican uh, gubernatorial and Republican Senate candidates, respectively, in Arizona. Sorry. Yes. No, no thank you uh, for clarifying that. Kerry Lake looks like she's going to win hands down. I mean, one poll's got a 10-point lead, which even I'm a little skeptical about. Uh, Blake Masters appears to be in a much tighter, more challenging race. But as I looked at the two of them, there is no way that a Republican Party run by the Bush dynasty would have um, encouraged or empowered candidates like those two individuals to run. And Tom, I, I think that uh, Carrie Lake will, she's already become a national figure. If she wins by a big margin, she's going to be a force to reckon with, uh, an articulate conservative woman that, you know, knows how to stand her ground. He's got a whole intellectual approach that can appeal to working class people and uh, and conservatives of all stripes. I mean, th- there's a chance, a chance in this election, if our people show up, that uh, a bunch of Democrats that were considered rising stars, people like uh, Beto O'Rourke in, in Texas and uh, uh, the, the the lady down in uh, in Alabama, I'm, I'm sorry, down in Georgia. Uh, Stacey Abrams. Yeah, Stacey Abrams. Uh, they could be finished if, if they lose as badly as it looks like they're going to lose. And there's going to be a whole raft of rising stars on the conservative side. We're, we're going to have a, a pretty darn deep bench going forward. I mean, if, if, if we can hold on to these leads and if we can push some of these marginal seat prospects across the finish line, one of whom, of course, is General Don Baldick in New Hampshire. And, of course, you well know and everyone well knows because it's been so highly uh, presented in the media. Everybody now knows about the axe attack on General Baldick. Uh, Tuesday afternoon. Um, of course, I'm being facetious because the media didn't cover that. They only uh, covered the Pelosi attack, which was horrendous on on Paul Pelosi and some uh, illegal alien psychopath lunatic yeah. attacks him with an axe. Don Bol- or with a um, with a hammer. Don Boldick was attacked um, with a with a pickaxe or some heavy heavy implement. I didn't, of- I didn't realize yeah. the guy had something on him. Uh, that's seen that that's news to me and i i follow the news Tom. Right. so uh, uh of course that has to be incited by uh, joe biden right if the attack on paul pelosi was incited by kevin mccarthy yeah well you know you don't even have to go to that i mean look the, the when the supreme court decision leaked out on on uh, abortion uh, immediately biden and kamala harris the, the leftist media said that the uh the the conservatives on the Supreme Court were taking away constitutional rights. So what happened? Uh, a lefty from California flies to Washington, D.C. Uh, he's caught before he can do what he wanted to do, which was to kill three conservatives on the Supreme Court, starting with Kavanaugh. When the, when the decision came out, uh, Biden, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, Senator S- uh, Sanders, uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren – List, uh, launched vicious attacks on crisis pregnancy centers, said that they were lying to women, et cetera. Immediately, Biden voters started attacking crisis pregnancy centers. Violently. Yes, violently, trying to set them on fire, 
trashing the insides and so forth. You could just go on and on and on. To this day, to this very day, every night, a group of demonstrators picks a different conservative Supreme Court member's house to demonstrate outside of, and the Attorney General of the United States continues to enforce, continues to refuse to enforce the federal law that prohibits demonstrations outside the home of federal judges that could be intimidation about what their rulings are. So uh, the, it's laughable. It is laughable. It's insane. And it's disgusting that Joe Biden and the liberal media are trying to make us sound like we're stoking violence when they've been doing it for a long, long time, including the entire summer of 2020, when one major U.S. city after another's streets were dominated by barbarians who attacked small businesses, killed people, set things on fire. And, you know, every time Donald Trump tried to do something about it, Democrat governors, Democrat mayors refused his help. They'd rather have the rioting. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose podcast. Make sure and give us a five-star uh, five rating on Apple iTunes and uh, refer us to your friends. We're back after this. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. Uh, Joe Biden, I mean, we can get into his cognitive problems, but it's first of all, he's been a serial liar for his entire life in politics. Uh, he said something the other day that that uh, even I was taken aback by. Um, he says that he's good friends with and has been uh, communicating regularly with the inventor of insulin, who, of course, died before seven years, seven years before Joe Biden was born um, again, no media cover. Can you imagine if Donald Trump said something? Like, I mean, it's just the 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 media is not the media. The media yeah. is, as Mark Levin calls them, the Praetorian Guard of the Democrat Party. I might even go further because I think Gary that the media is even more left wing than the Democrats, and they drive that narrative. It's the de it's the media that pushes the Democrats to positions they now take that. Nine-year-olds uh, can be uh, genitally mutilated, can be bodily mutilated without the parents' consent. Uh, you know, we see that all over the system. We see, as you mentioned the other day, Randy Weingarten, head of the American, is she the AFP or the uh, NEA? I can't remember. It doesn't really matter. I think They're both the same, right? Yeah, they are. They are. Yeah, I forget which one, too. No uh, amnesty, right, on on. Our position, right? She now wants an amnesty. How about a Truth and Reconciliation Commission? They destroy the lives of and prospects of your of of your children, and now they want us to just hug it out. They want us to forget, move on. 
the key point being that Randy Weidgarten and her ilk get to stay in power and keep destroying and denying the prospects of our for our children. You, you know, Tom, you touched briefly on this uh, uh, gender um, insanity that has swept America's elites. Um, I was on a conference call the other day uh, to discuss some polling that's been done on this. And it ends up, you know, there's there's been polling done by the National Religious Broadcasters. Uh, there's polling done by Rasmussen. Uh, the the group that Newt Gingrich, public policy group that Newt Gingrich runs, has done some polling, and what it shows, Tom, if you if you were you know had been in a coma, came out of it, and just looked at the television and read the newspapers and listened to people that are at the creme de la creme of American society, you would think that everybody in America has bought into the idea that boys can become girls and girls can become boys, and you should give uh, little boys and little girls powerful chemicals to stop puberty and do mutilating surgery on them, and they should be able to make their own decision about it and so forth. But in fact, when you ask the American people, they are de- they're horrified by this. They're deeply disturbed by it. In fact, it, there was I think one of those polls had a question. If you knew a candidate running for the House or Senate believed in the gender-affirming surgery, et cetera, for minors, would you be more likely or less likely to vote for them? 75% responded less likely. I'm surprised so this, it was that low. Yeah, well, well that's, a, that, that's a comment on how crazy the left wing of the Democratic Party is. But it's also to our Republican friends. You know, our Republican friends will go out there arguing about tax cuts for billionaires, which has about the support of about 8% of the American people. But on an issue like this, I don't want to get it. That's really controversial, Gary. We got to keep our eye on the ball, the stuff that's really important, you know, like billionaire tax cuts. So, uh, not to mention most billionaires are Democrats. Yeah. I mean, why, (laughs) yeah. Why don't we just introduce a bill to, you know, uh, cut taxes on, Wealthy Democrats. That's, let me, that's basically let, me yeah. let me switch gears here for a minute. You're an expert on this topic, and I wanted to get your feedback. Um, we've talked about this this U.S. brokered deal between Israel and Lebanon that surrendered Israeli gas rights in sovereign Israeli territorial waters to Hezbollah. Bibi Netanyahu wins pretty overwhelmingly. One of the most his one of his most dramatic wins as prime minister earlier this week, in, in part promising, like President Trump did vis-a-vis the Iran deal in 2015, he's going to undo this deal. This gives Hezbollah billions of dollars that they're going to use for terrorism. It completely surrendered about 17 percent of Israel's sovereign, internationally recognized territorial waters for these these. Uh, Gas fields, these huge gas fields. Bibi says he's going to get out of that deal. Now, it was the U.S. that pressured Israel's weaker government into making that concession. Walk us through what is going to happen now with U.S.-Israel relations when Benjamin Netanyahu uh, resumes the, the premiership of Israel and says... A, this wasn't a treaty. It never went before the Knesset, our parliament. It was an executive ruling. I'm the new executive. Those are the arguments that he's preparing to make. What's the American reaction going to be? What's Joe Biden going to say or do? And is Israel, are Israel-U.S. relations in for a very rocky road now? 
Now, I, I think what's in for a rocky road are uh, Israel-American liberal relations are in for a rocky, ro- a rocky road. Uh, the American people remain uh, staunchly pro-Israel uh, for, for the basic reason, as we've talked about many, many times, that they, they, they can see with their own eyes and you hear with their own he- ears that Israel is an ally in the true sense of the word. Uh, and, you know, they've never asked us to fight their wars. They're perfectly able to fight their own wars. They're reliable. We, we get better intelligence from them on what Iran is and isn't doing than our own intelligence. So it's a very mutually beneficial relationship. But the American left is becoming more and more anti-Israel. You can see it on the university campuses. You can see it on, uh, in the media. You can see it among the people that are rising to the top in the Democrat Party and in the, in the rising progressive wing, people like AOC and, and, and others. Tom, the, the, the media and, and the Democrats and uh, the um, Anti-Defamation League have accused Donald Trump of being anti-Semitic. He's got more Jewish grandchildren than the head of the ADL. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, than the the head of the ADL. Uh, But uh, they're accusing him of uh, being anti-Semitic because a couple of weeks ago, he said, I really hope American Jews wake up and stand more strongly with Israel because if they don't, sometime down the road, there's going to be a disaster and then they'll regret it. So he's an anti-Semite because he wants them to be more enthusiastic and strong in their support of the only nation in the world that is a nation for Jews. It's, that, it, that, that's it. That's insane. It's absolutely insane. And here we've got – have you read – I'm going to send you this. Have you read BB's new memoir? No. Uh, I I have known him for 25 years. I worked very closely with him in the late uh, 90s and early 2000s. Uh, thought I knew him very well. The the first hundred. I'll, I'm going to send you this. The first hundred pages of this memoir read like ten different. Um, uh, Tom Clancy spy novels. His really? mili- his military record. I mean, the guy literally. He's been shot, stabbed, drowned, burned, poisoned, frozen, captured, and tortured. I mean, all of that literally happened to him. Um, it's it's just it's a remarkable it's a remarkable read. It really is. So what did he? Wait a minute. What did he do? Spend a day in Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> he was. He led the anti-terror unit that freed the Sabina Airlines hijacked plane in 1972 and was shot mm. while killing three terrorists. Uh, he was stabbed in a subsequent operation, secret operation. He doesn't tell us where, but I'm assuming it was in Jordan in the early 1970s. Um, he was drowned, nearly drowned. One of his compatriots was drowned uh, while trying to stop uh, an Egyptian commando unit from crossing the Suez Canal. Um, he was burned in a fire, escaping from some building in Lebanon, dressed as a mm-hmm. woman. Uh, he was frozen on the top of Mount Hermon in... Wait, wait, wait. I got to stop you again. <laughs> BB had a believable disguise as a uh, woman? I, I... <laughs> well, I guess in the age we live in. Yeah, you're uh... right. You're right. I mean, you know, who would challenge his? But this, it never, liter- it literally never ended. The one thing that absolutely struck me was in his unit, the Sierra Matkal, which is Israel's leading 
it's the elite of the elite uh, counter-terror units. And his, his brother, of course, was uh, the commander of the unit and, and fell during the Entebbe rescue, the most mm. remarkable rescue, uh, hostage rescue in, in history. Um, during training, they, in order to prepare these unit members for capture by an enemy, they actually capture them. Uh, in a way where the unit member doesn't actually know if he's been really captured or not. Wow. And um, they torture you ruthlessly. Uh, and BB <laughs> had to go through. I mean, it's, I mean, waterboarding, he says waterboarding. We dreamed about being waterboarded. We prayed well, that to settles be- it. <laughs> that settles it. I am not joining the IDF, Tom. I, <laughs> no, I, you know, I think I might have read somewhere that at some point when, when uh, the United States was still using waterboarding uh, as a, a technique in questioning, that the people that did the waterboarding before that had to go through it themselves <laughs> so they could see just how bad it feels. Right. Uh, which, of course, also gives lie to the idea that you're going to die during that. But, uh, no, know, it, but you, it, it, it makes you feel like it's drowning. One last issue, and, 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 and we're going to go here. And Bibi brought this up, as a matter of fact, before the election, not during the election, asking the question that every sentient American should ask, and that is, what is our deal with Iran? Why is Biden treating our ally, Saudi Arabia, like an enemy and our Iranian enemy like an ally? I know we've talked about it. I've never, I, I've never gotten it. Iran actually does side with Russia now in killing Ukrainian civilians. They've sent drones. They now have IRGC personnel on the ground in Russian-occupied Ukraine to train Russians on how to fire their, their Shahab missiles, their Ifaz missiles, their higher-end uh, GPS precision-guided munitions. And the White House says nothing about Iran and yet accuses Saudi Arabia of being in Putin's pocket. Yeah, you know, Tom, I, I mean, I think there, there may be a lot of things at work here, but I, I think it might just be sort of uh, Henry Kissinger's real politique on steroids they they see Iran as a country with a big population, very smart people, and they believe it is inevitable that it is going to dominate the region. And they want to be uh, friendly with that country. They want to be partnering with that country. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's insane. I think it's evil. And, and until the Iranian government is changed and the Iranian people have been liberated, any U.S. government that thinks it's a good thing to work with that government and thus empower that government, make that government wealthier so that it can, to, can continue to do the things it does against our allies throughout the region. And by the way, the things it does in Europe where you know, Iranian embassies in Europe have been used as launching pads for terror attacks. So uh, Obama tried this and now Biden did it. And as we all know, the Biden administration is basically the third uh, Obama administration. What about the possibility that these people are such prisoners of their own insane ideology that they can't stop seeing the conflict as being caused first and foremost by Israel, then by Trump, then by you, you know, wacko evangelical Christians. In other words, they... Everyone that they hate in domestic politics, 
together with a few despised foreign people like Netanyahu and MBS. That's what they're focusing on. In other words, they keep running after Iran to favor Iran because conservatives are opposed to Iran. They keep harping all kinds of weight and pressure on Netanyahu because conservatives like Netanyahu. Well, that, I mean, look, that's a great theory. It may very well be true. And in fact, to, to add to your theory, uh, it was a Democrat president, Jimmy Carter, who so badly flopped in dealing with the Iranian revolution and, and the humiliation uh, of the hostage crisis, all of which contributed to, in a, in a significant way, the election of the a Republican president that the left hated the most before Donald Trump, namely Ronald Reagan. <laughs> so I think maybe they've never they've never uh, gotten over that, and they they continue to think that uh, you, you know we'll show them we'll we'll make Iran stronger and stronger, make Iran great again. Well, that is it. We're out of time. Thanks so much for listening to us. Don't forget to like us, give us a five-star rating, and share with friends. This is the Bauer and Rose podcast brought to you by our good friends at justthenews.com. Have a great weekend, Gary. You too, Tom.